Be bald and be free. That's the slogan for one of the supposed holidays for October 14th. And I hesitate to even mention it at all except to say I represent. I've always thought of pawns as bald, and this is National Chess Day as well. Supposedly, it's also National I Love You Day. But rest assured that Charlottesville Community Engagement has that sentiment every day with a sunrise and a sunset. I'm Sean Tubbs, and thanks for listening. On this edition, there's a homicide reported last night on Market Street in downtown Charlottesville. Charlottesville has also announced that the opening of an overnight shelter on October 21st will coincide with a restoration of closing times at Market Street Park. A public hearing date has been set for the University of Virginia Foundation's request to rezone part of the North Fork Discovery Park to include up to 1,400 residential units and snippets from two candidate forums for the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Would you like to learn more or support their work? Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more and stay up to date by following them on Facebook. A 48-year-old Charlottesville man is dead after a shooting on East Market Street in Charlottesville just before 3 a.m. The Charlottesville Police Department reports that Daniel O'Brien Hall of Charlottesville was shot and then died after being taken to the University of Virginia Medical Center. The assailant was at large at publication time, and police are looking for more information. The release states that the suspect had not been identified, this is around 9.30 this morning, and that anyone who witnessed the incident is requested to contact the police with any information. The release also asks businesses in the area who may have security cameras to review the footage for any information they could share with detectives. The release makes no reference to anything happening in Market Street Park. There are now over two dozen tents in Charlottesville's Market Street Park, as several people without houses have been allowed to stay there after closing times were lifted on September 20th. The city announced on Friday that operating hours will be restored on October 21st, the same day that Pacham is set to begin operating seasonal overnight shelters. Sanders, in a press release, said that he has asked his staff to engage with various service providers to strategize ways that they can support the process so that anyone in the park will receive the assistance they need to ensure a smooth transition. Sanders outlined a homelessness intervention strategy at council's meeting on October 2nd that included asking Pacham to begin their seasonal season early. He also suggested council provide some funding for those early operations. In an undated press release, Pacham announced they will be able to open their 20th season early because of several donations. This collaborative effort helps relieve encampment congestion in Market Street Park and addresses these neighbors' need for a safe place to sleep at night. Support for the early opening comes from Charlottesville First United Methodist Church and support from the Community of Faith Partners, the PATH Team, the Salvation Army, and the City of Charlottesville. In advance of the resumption of a closing time at the park, Pacham will begin reaching out to those who are staying there at the moment. 
Pacham's winter season will run through April 12, 2024. Between now and then, Council will begin a budget process that will likely include discussions of funding to purchase property for an overnight shelter. That's in Sanders' midterm strategy, as is the pursuit of regional collaboration to operate that future shelter. Items for long-term action include building new permanent supportive housing, like the units at the crossings at 4th and Preston. Another item is the provision of deeply affordable housing, which means below 30% of the area median income. That's an area that Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority have indicated they want to provide service as they prepare for their future. Sanders will discuss this item in more detail at Council's meeting on October 16th. It's been a busy month in planning for land use changes in northern Albemarle County. Riverbend and a second company have filed for an amendment to the rezoning for RST residences. Stony Point Development Group seeks a rezoning for about 500 units just to the south in a project to be called Holly Hills. Now, the University of Virginia Foundation's application for a rezoning at the North Fork Discovery Park is moving forward, with a public hearing scheduled for the Albemarle Planning Commission's meeting on October 24th. Here is a section from an October 6th letter sent to adjacent property owners. ZMA 20210016 is a proposal for a request to rezone the southern area of the North Fork UVA Discovery Park to neighborhood model development to allow residential uses approximately 1,400 units. The request also seeks a rezoning for the northern area to add seven acres of land that is not currently designated within the planned development industrial park zoning for the park. The size of the MMD request in the southern area is about 172 acres. The total size for the entire rezoning is 543 acres. There are a mix of comprehensive plan designations on the land, including urban mixed use, office RD flex light industrial, and light industrial. This proposal was originally filed in late 2021 and was reviewed by the Land Use and Environmental Planning Committee around the same time. There's a link in the newsletter. A new application was filed on September 8th. You can get a link to that. Where else? In the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. The Charlottesville Jazz Society continues a new monthly series showcasing this area's great local jazz talent. On October 29th at Miller's, beginning at 6 p.m., the spotlight will be on vocalist Tina Hashemi with guitarist Michael McNulty. The pair will play in the early evening before opening things up to any musicians who want to sit in and jam. These local jazz spotlight shows are free and open to the public and are sponsored in part by WTJU Radio. The Charlottesville Jazz Society is grateful to Millers for their longtime support of jazz in Charlottesville and for offering a home for this series. For more information on the Charlottesville Jazz Society, now in its 16th year of preserving jazz through live performances and education, visit seedlejazz.org.
This next segment for the rest of this is not entirely what I wanted because I wanted more. One reason I created the Charlottesville Podcasting Network in 2005 was to experiment with the power of being able to bring people long-form audio of events in the community. In the early first year, I made a long podcast about Dominion's application for a third nuclear reactor at Lake Anna and the community process. I recorded the Albemarle County Fair's fiddle contest that year, and I tried to make available discussions such as one from April 2005 on inequality. But my first attempt at a business, like the one I have now, was to get paid to produce the audio in the first place. The Free Enterprise Forum paid me that fall to record campaign forums for the Board of Supervisor races that year. At this moment, all I can find from that experience is the audio of the October 2005 Jack Jewett Candidate Forum. You can find that in a link in the newsletter, as well as a link to Elections 2005 on Sievelpedia. Over the years to follow, I spent a lot of time recording campaign forums and spending a lot more time devoted to covering the local elections. That seems to have fallen out of favor now, and I don't have the resources to go out and record them and produce them like I used to when I worked for an organization that was set up to do just that. So this segment is an attempt to catch up with what I can from the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors going on right now. Early voting is already underway in Virginia, and as of October 13th, 4,751 people had cast their ballots in Albemarle County so far. There are three magisterial districts up for election this year. The Scottsville district seat being vacated by Donna Price only has one candidate on the ballot in Democrat Michael Pruitt. In the Rythana district, Supervisor B. Lepisto-Kirtley is facing a challenge from independent T.J. Fadley. Newcomer Brad Rickle is challenging four-term incumbent Ann Malik in her race for a fifth and final term. So far, Rickle has only appeared at one forum alongside his opponent. The source material for all of this comes from three events, but we'll start with the first one. And here's a spoiler, I didn't get to writing the third one yet. But on to Malik and Rickle, Rickle appearing, appearing at, at Crozet, Crozet Town, Town Hall Candidate, Candidate Forum. Forum. According to the 2020 U.S. Census, the Whitehall Magisterial District had a population of 20,859 people, or a sixth of the overall population in Albemarle. Crozet is a census-designated place with a 2020 count of 9,224. You can see more details on a link in the newsletter to the census webpage. Crozet is also the largest standalone growth area in Albemarle with all of the others abutting the city of Charlottesville. Development is to be guided by the Crozet Master Plan, which was last updated in October 21, according to the Daily Progress. At a September 11th town hall in Crozet, the two candidates for the Whitehall District were asked to introduce themselves. Incumbent Anne Malik began by explaining how she spent many years as an advocate and activist before seeking her first term in 2007. Over 20 years, I learned about process and expertise on topics. Prior to being elected, I studied, spoke at board meetings, and advocated about issues. I have a record. Malik said she studies each agenda packet for each meeting to prepare to ask questions of staff. We'll hear more from Malik later, as she appeared at the one other candidate forum that's in this podcast, as well as the other one from the future. However, Brad Rickle declined to attend the Free Enterprise Forum and the Senior Statesman Forum. 
But he did appear at the Crozet Town Hall, and thanks to the Crozet Gazette for having the entire video posted from which I took this audio with permission. Rickle said he chose to be an independent for a reason. Republicans think I'm Democrat, and Democrat thinks I'm Republican, so I'm on to something there. Rickle served in the U.S. Army and served two terms in Iraq. He's been a chief operating officer of a private company and said his experience managing budgets prepares him for local government. My experience is in getting things done. Conversely, I think we're tired of hearing excuses of why things that have been listened to and planned for aren't getting done around here. And these excuses sound compelling. Supervisor Malik is one of the most polished politicians who will ever come across in your life. Rickle said he was running to represent Crozet and said living there qualifies him to speak for the unincorporated community. Questions at this forum focused on Crozet and infrastructure needs. Planning for one of the roadways called for in the Crozet master plan suffered an implementation setback earlier this year when the cost estimate rose to nearly $39.5 million. Rickle lamented that it has not yet been built. It was a critically important piece of infrastructure for Crozet. It was a third way in and out to be able to maneuver around, and it's something that we've been talking about planning for for 20 years. And the number has increasingly skyrocketed over that same amount of time. Rickle had this interpretation of the discussion in August of the cost escalation. The county came forward and said, hey, let's not do it. So the plan as of right now is it's never going. Malik said the project is not cancelled. It is being redesigned, remastered, and perhaps relocated in an effort to reduce cost. But that is all the information which is available today. Keep in mind that this audio is now from September 11th, and there is new information about transportation in Albemarle that I still need to get back to writing about as soon as I can. I'll have it hopefully in time for Tuesday. Malik said she was shocked about the cost escalation of the Eastern Avenue project, but said it was crucial to public safety in Crozet. She said she has not given up on bringing the project to implementation. Now, that's just a small flavor of the Crozet Town Hall Forum. If you want to learn more, there's a story that Lisa Martin wrote in the October edition of the Crozet Gazette. That periodical has posted the entire video, and there's a link to that in the newsletter. There's also a forum between school board candidates Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman. I'm not going to have a chance to get to that, unfortunately, but I know there's a lot of interest in that race. Let's move ahead now to September 25th, when the Free Enterprise Forum invited all five supervisor candidates to an event co-hosted by Steve Rappaport of NBC29. Rickle did not attend, and I have a question out asking why. Candidates were first asked to give an opening statement. Here's a selection from Mike Pruitt, the only candidate on the ballot in the Scottsville district. He said he grew up in South Carolina, moved around the United States a lot, but never felt home until arriving in this community. When I moved here to Albemarle to retrain as a civil rights attorney, uh, this was the first opportunity I had to actually build the kind of roots in a community that I cared about and wanted to stay. And what I've increasingly become worried is that that is not an opportunity that is afforded to everyone. Not everyone who grows up and comes of age in our community anymore is still able to afford to stay here. And not everyone who works here has the opportunity to make this their own home. 
Supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley did not face an official challenger in her first race for the Rivanna district, but she does this second time around. In her opening statement, she did not address anything that she's achieved in the past four years, nor did she give specifics on what she would do in another term. Instead, she gave an overview of her career in California before retiring to Albemarle County. I was a principal. I was a director in charge of 24 elementary schools uh, when I retired. I'm proud to say that my life has been one of public service. The public service included 20 years as a city councilor in Bradbury, California, a community with a 2020 population of 921, according to the U.S. Census. Newcomer T.J. Fadeli said he's running to provide an alternative choice for Albemarle. A lot of people have asked me why I'm running. And so the answer is to give Rivanna residents an alternative to increase in taxation and ever-growing government. To put the brakes on the excessive spending and to encourage a more efficient government. To work at reducing costly and unfruitful government growth and programs that show no return on investment. Supervisor Ann Malik, who we've already heard from, had this to say about her opponent. I wish my opponent were here because I and others would be interested in hearing his views. The four candidates present were asked a variety of questions, including several on Albemarle's cell tower policy, vocational education, the relationship between the Board of Supervisors and the school board, and many more. I don't have enough time to go through the entire event, but the video is available by downloading it from Dropbox. But here's one question about growth that's worth a review. Here is Steve Rappaport. Over the last five years, Albemarle Supervisors has approved new residential projects at 58% of comprehensive plan density. Where do you see new growth happening in denser development areas or in terms of expanding the development areas? Supervisor Ann Malik said she understands the frustration that many have with the approval of more residential units without adequate infrastructure. There would be far less pushback about new developments coming in if the people who live there now had a sidewalk on which to push their stroller in order to get to the nearby facilities or uh, the roads and bridges that which they need in order to get around smoothly. Fadeli said he would support expansion of the development areas in part to replace some of the land lost when the Commonwealth of Virginia purchased land for what was to have been Biscuit Run State Park. Modern, modernizing frequently waived standards for uh, urban, suburban, and rural areas, um, crossroad and transitional development areas, I believe should be part of the question as well going forward for the future of Elmar County. Mike Pruitt said the existing growth areas are where people want to live, but the current zoning code makes it difficult to build housing. I think it's really incumbent on the board to try and make it so that we streamline this process so that there is not such an onerous process that anyone who wants to invest the capital in trying to expand either the commercial real estate or the housing uh, properties in this community has to go through. Lepisto Kirtley said that many people in the community don't want to live in a place at the upper ranges of the density limits. So while we do want to uh, have higher and denser, we get a lot of community pushback, a lot. The community pushback also delays the projects for the developers. That costs them money and time to the point where they're not able to build anymore because they missed out on opportunities for grants, uh, FEMA funding and things like that. 
Lepisto curtly said Albemarle should continue to focus on the existing development areas, but expansion will eventually have to take place. Until then, the county has to work to make the development areas work. The Free Enterprise Forum and NBC29 Forum offered the chance for candidates to ask each other one question. Lepisto curtly asked a question of her opponent. He has been saying um, in the forums that we've been attending and such that he wants to cut the taxes. 57% of our monies go for the schools. 15% goes for public health and safety, fire, police, etc. The question, how much of those services would her opponent cut? So it would be none of the above because those are all of the most... What every taxpayer looks to fund are the common paid goods that we look for, good education, safe communities. So none of those. Where I would look to cut spending would be the 445% increase in three years on community development. That's just shy of $30 million. The $1.2 million increase to human resources. All of that is money that can go to prioritize first responders and hiring more police. A little more on community development. The adopted budget for that department in fiscal year 2021 was $10,384,548, a year affected by the pandemic and an anticipated economic downturn that was not as prolonged as originally expected. The department's budget for fiscal year 24 increased to $14,392,115, That's more of a 38.59% increase. Here's some context of what program areas that funding actually covers from the fiscal year 24 budget. Community Development Administration, Planning, Zoning, Engineering, Inspections, and Economic Development Office. In addition, Virginia Cooperative Extension Service and transit agencies such as the Charlottesville Area Transit and Jaunt fall under this organizational area. Malik asked Lepisto curtly what she was proud about for her first term. I know Stony Point Volunteer Fire Department received uh, an ambulance for the very first time in its history. Uh, an ambulance also went to the East Vivana Station. Among other things, Lepisto curtly also pointed to a recent decision to turn Free Bridge Lane into a car-free zone, investment in Biscuit Run Park, and the creation of a Parks Foundation. Fatally asked Lepisto curtly about the transient occupancy tax, which was increased to 8% in fiscal year 2023. She said that was to match the amount charged by Charlottesville. 5% of the revenues go to the county's general fund, and 3% goes to the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau. Pruitt asked his question of Supervisor Ann Malik. You have served a significant time on this board, and you have a wealth of experience that folks like me can learn from. I would love to hear what you are most proud of that you've accomplished in your service. Malik pointed to the work she did both before being elected and in office to reform the land use taxation process, which took gaining support from the agricultural community. The county now calls revalidation in order to make sure that our property tax deferral for properties in agriculture and forestry, otherwise known as the land use program, is actually run perfectly cleanly and accurately so that only those properties which qualify due to their productive nature. Malik claimed her opponent wanted to make changes to the program. 
Rickle was not on hand to answer, nor would he be on hand at the October 11th Senior Statesman event. That one will have to wait until another edition of this newsletter. I also have to produce a podcast of that event so I can make sure all of it is there for you, the reader or listener to, to have a complete look or listen to for yourself. Since 2005, my focus has shifted a little away from podcasting for podcasting's sake and more to being whatever it is I do now. I thank you for your patience as I try to cover as much as I can. But that's the end of number 589, and the main rule I have for producing this newsletter and podcast now is to get it out by 5 p.m., If I had a staff and other people to help me work on this, there would be a more routine schedule. Until then, please check out the production updates on Substack Notes. Today's edition focused on the elections because the point of a democracy is to have conversations about ideas and to have at least some force that tries to provide as neutral and balanced a description of what's happening as possible. This newsletter and podcast seeks to be that force Because anyone who knows me knows that my opinions are mercurial and have a very short half-life. I do this work because I'm drawn to the wishy-washy nature of the milk toast. Or rather, that's how I'm drawn, like my bald imaginary friend, Charlie Brown. Thanks to paid subscribers to this Substack newsletter as well as Patreon supporters. Ting has also been a sponsor for nearly two and a half years now. They will match your initial payment. We're at the end. The bell's about to hit. Thank you very much. See you next time. (laughs) 